0: Good afternoon or evening or whatever time of day you're listening. I hope you folks are staying safe and having a good Friday. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can find me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco and follow the podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. Today's episode is brought to you by the fine folks at Built Bar creators of a wonderful, tasty, and nutritious protein bar alternative that tastes more like a candy bar, and if you use promo code LOCKEDON at BuiltBar.com on your first order, you'll receive a cheeky $10 off. Again, that is promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off your first order. On today's episode, we are going to do some of the NHL 2020 draft coverage um, leading up to the next draft, but I thought before we get to that, I would talk a bit about stuff that's ongoing right now because um, there's a lot. That has happened over the last, I don't know, two to three days, and uh, a lot of it is not particularly good. I will be honest, I do need to put like a content disclaimer on some of this. There are things that I talk about that do include uh, sexual assault, abuse, bullying, and stuff. So if any of that is is distressing, you might want to skip over um, until around the eight or nine minute mark, where we'll probably start entering in draft coverage. If we, for some reason, need to talk about it further than that, I'll be sure to add a warning before then that this, there's still more to come. So uh, just keep your eye out and, you know, hopefully um, we can we can kind of go through this discussion and, and get through what, what has been a little bit difficult to, to deal with, especially for those involved in junior hockey. Um, so I think that we'll talk about that first because uh, that is broken out as a result of a a player from, I believe, the Kitchener Rangers, who posted a video on Twitter. And in it, he, I I forget if he's like an active or a former player, I want to say former, but he basically alleged that during a a team party, you know, one of the older players at the time took him and another teammate into a bathroom and forced them to do cocaine and would not leave, uh, would not allow them to leave the bathroom until they had done, you know, however much uh, coke was, uh, was made available to them. And obviously, there are quite a few levels as to why this would be extremely disturbing. Uh, the first is that I think most people know the NHL has a pretty bad drug addiction problem, and coke is one of the leading um, issues within the league. And you know, obviously, this is evidence that it's starting very early. It's a cultural thing, and these teams that are filled with young teenagers and kids, uh, you know, for one thing, they have access to coke. And they're forcing others to get into it, uh, especially at such a young age. And coke, really, for you know a variety of reasons, is pretty terrible for you. But it just destroys your body and really puts it into overdrive. And then you know throughout your career, even as just a hockey player, not an ordinary person, um, there is a growing evidence that when you snort cocaine, you have a crash significantly earlier in in your career, performance-wise. And that's before we even get to the, the concept and, and the natural addictive properties of coke, as well as the dangers of essentially that stuff hitting your bloodstream. But sort of on a related note, as far as that's concerned, you know, this, this continues a recent trend of people evaluating and exposing the bullying and culture of fear that seems to pervade a lot of the major junior hockey programs and some of the minor league teams as well. Daniel Carcillo, I think, was one of the first people to kind of kickstart this wave. I think it was last year, and now it's just continuing to go on as as the days go by. And when this young man posted the video, it obviously set off a bit of an internet firestorm, but I don't think people were really prepared for what came next. Uh, and this is where the, the content warning will become a little bit more um, sensible and, and make a little bit more sense, but a few players uh, from the, I think, the OHL or WHL filed a, like a, a major lawsuit of some sort against the league, and what they alleged was that teams and team staff and the players involved all knew about hazing rituals that involved sexual assault, um, sexual abuse, verbal assault, physical assault, uh, basically everything that you could possibly imagine as part of this, I guess, introductory ritual to joining the team. Now, for so many different reasons, this is, I mean, kind of insane to even broach the subject of, but it's, it's bad enough that it would kind of require significant reform across the leagues because it wasn't just players that were implicated in being involved in this. It sounds like from what the, uh, some of the documents and articles were saying was that, you know, coaches were participating too or were complicit in the events that were occurring, even if they were not directly involved. The issue is described as more than just cultural. It's basically said that it's a systemic thing that is embedded within junior hockey, and that is just unacceptable in any capacity whatsoever. Bullying and hazing are already bad enough, but to have actual complicit team management squads and coaching staffs know about this and refuse to do anything about it or even encourage it in some respects is so beyond the pale that you, you almost have to think about gutting everything and starting over. I mean, it's it's that bad, and it sounds like it's very pervasive because even just taking a look at a couple of instances of players speaking up from, say, one particular team, you know that this happens in so many other places. And when you look at the replies on these threads and things, what you tend to find is there are so many people who have stories of having been involved with these junior teams, and, and for many years they had to bury it because... They were so afraid of speaking out and talking about it, but now that guys like Carcillo and and a couple of other players have come forward, there is more encouragement for, for stepping forward with these stories, and to me, it's not necessarily about bravery. I think that that is not a fair thing to ask of people. I think it's just, it's so hard to step forward in a culture that constantly suppresses voices and ensures that people don't have a chance to share these, because... Again, there's, there's a, a lot of psychological fear. There is also physical and, and psychological intimidation. And the culture has done a good job of saying, just man up and take it. You'll be stronger for having gone through the process as, as some sort of an excuse in the cover for, for teams and players to do this stuff. I honestly don't know what the aftermath of this is going to be. But, you know, if you want to check it out, uh, the Hockey News, uh, or the Hockey Writers, I forget what it's called, um, Ken Campbell actually posted the article in which it was uh, it was Car- Carcillo and Garrett Taylor who were basically listing all sorts of different abuses and things that went on during their time in the league as teenagers. And uh, I- I'm not going to really tell you about it. If you want to know what happened and see the allegations, you can look up the article. It is pretty horrifying for so many reasons, and uh, I-, I don't want to, um, you know, if you don't want to know about it, I don't want to force you to listen to it, but... I I would recommend that you take a look if you can take a look because I think people need to understand the depths of depravity and and really the deep-seated issues that underlie the you know culture of junior hockey in particular it sounds like uh, and hopefully this isn't this is limited to junior hockey but I think we all know that this stuff probably happens in pro hockey as well but you know maybe if we're forced to confront this and deal with it we might finally start to see some genuine change and progress made in these arenas. Just after this short break, we're going to take a you know quick look at what's going on with the NHL and the COVID relaunch, because there have definitely been some developments that are probably going to change the nature of what happens over the next few months. But before we go on too far, I thought I'd tell you a little bit about the fine folks at BuiltBar.com. BuiltBar is a wonderful alternative to the usual dry, desiccated husks of protein bars that you're used to. They're soft, tasty, and more like a candy bar than a protein bar. If you've got nut allergens, they've also got your back with around 8 or so different nut-free flavors that you can try, and if you're having trouble picking a single flavor to try, Bilt Bar also offers a sampler box so you can get the best of both worlds. While Built Bars do taste delicious, they're also incredibly good for you. Most of them are 150 calories or less, with 5 grams or less of fat, and around 30% of your daily protein intake. I challenge you to find a protein bar that can taste as good, be more like a candy bar and provide the same nutritional punch. You just aren't going to find it. And if you want to give them a try, be sure to head on over to builtbar.com, place your order, and at checkout use promo code Locked On for ten dollars off your first order. Again, that's promo code Locked On for ten dollars off your first order. As I mentioned previously, we are going to be talking a little bit about how the NHL has handled uh, the potential relaunch and some of the changes that have arrived. And I think the first thing that has changed significantly is that all across the U.S., states are reopening, and that is not going well. I I think that people don't understand that, for one thing, uh, asymptomatic and symptomatic spread work very quickly with COVID, and because of the delayed um, incubation period, you often don't know that you're going to have a sudden huge wave of positive cases until it's way too late. I've seen just walking around my own neighborhood and, and kind of, you know, Going around Baltimore area that a lot of people aren't even practicing particularly great um, pro- protocol and safety procedures, which even in a state that has relatively been tight on lockdowns, you know, it, it's it's frustrating because the government can do all it wants to say, you know, here's the safety precautions, here's how we limit and and essentially beat the curve. Um, but it's it's really not going to matter if people aren't actually following safety protocol and doing the things that they need to to ensure the safety of themselves and others. Unfortunately, a lot of states down south have just kind of thrown caution to the wind and said, you know, it's, it's not a big deal and we can handle it. And all of these states are having massive spikes. And that is apparently starting to catch on with some of the NHL teams, too. The Tampa Bay Lightning are having a massive outbreak right now. I don't know how many players and staff are involved, but they said it's multiple. So you can probably guess that... With the amount of contact that some of these guys have had, especially as training is is starting to get underway, even if it's unofficial, you're looking at a really bad situation potentially, and I don't know how exactly you you deal with that. And I think my, my first thought is that the, the NHL just needs to cancel the rest of the season. There's no real reason to run it at this point with how much um, COVID is spiking in the U.S. and how dangerous and deadly this disease is. For one thing, I think people don't understand that When we talk about recoveries, it doesn't mean that these people are just hokey-dory and everything's back to normal. We don't actually know an exact profile of the long-term injuries and damage that COVID does because it's still relatively too new, and what we do know is that it has attacked respiratory systems, but increasingly people are starting to realize it might be more of a vascular disease, so it can spread and attack all sorts of parts of your body, including kidneys... Um, for some people, they've actually seen discoloration of their toes. Um, there's been brain swelling and inflammation. I mean, there are so many different symptoms. And, and more seriously, cardiac, um, cardiac damage and heart attacks and strokes have been side effects of these issues. So, you know, some of the stuff has actually lasted for significantly longer than I think some of the victims realized or, or expected. And, you know, this could go on for weeks or months in the case of certain recoveries. And there may be some people who just don't recover at all. And I think that that, in particular, poses a significant risk to, you know, as a subgroup of people like pro athletes who have to rely on their bodies being constantly in peak physical condition. And, and if they can't do that, then that's going to end their careers. You know, look, it'd be great to have hockey back, but I, I have no reservations about just, you know, saying goodbye to the rest of the season if it saves lives and protects the players and staff. There are so many folks who are going to be at risk, and there are also players who want to play that have pre-existing medical conditions that would make them more vulnerable to COVID. And for the life of me, I just can't understand why the NHL is going to try and force this when it's clear that we're just not really in a place to do it. And look, I I get it. I understand ostensibly why they're doing this. It's, It's about money because they're bleeding tons of funding, and things are pretty dire for the league right now, but... I think if you start opening up and and having players practice together, especially in these states that are hot spots, you're just asking for trouble. I mean, you're going to have so many people starting to test positive, and you're just going to have to cancel the season anyways. I think the league needs to be proactive and get ahead of this and say, you know what, screw this, forget it, it's too risky and it's too much to ask of our players, our team staff and and really anyone in the general public who would come into contact with some of these players if for any reason they unintentionally spread it or back and forth you know one of those things that happens and incidental contact you want to help lower that curve and, and make it less of an issue instead of helping to contribute or po- put your own players and staff at risk all it takes is for one of these cases to end somebody's career and the league is looking at not only a, a legal issue but a moral and personal issue as well I've heard some sports teams are having their players sign waivers and stuff saying that they're not going to be liable if you catch COVID and something happens. That is how risky they know all of this is. And people will say, oh, you know, Germany has the Bundesliga back and England has the Premier League back. And it's like, well, those are under very different conditions. England is kind of in trouble in its own way, but Germany, from the start, has had a very smart approach to handling the COVID crisis and their population has been noticeably less problematic in terms of infection rates. They had good leadership that understood how to head the issue off at the pass. They were very careful about when they chose to reopen, how they handled testing, and how they managed the lockdown, and Germany came out significantly better than the U.S. has they can't actually afford to reopen and have Bundesliga return. I don't think the U.S. is in a state at all to have NHL return, much less, you know, if if those players go up to Canada for a couple of games and, you know, cause an outbreak within the teams there, that's just going to be a nightmare. It it just takes one person to be a vector for what has proven to be an extremely highly contagious pathogen, and I, I just don't think any of this is worth it. No matter what... The money is just not going to cover the amount of potential damage that you're going to do on a personal level to all of these people who are significantly at risk. And imagine if one of the players with the pre-existing conditions catches it and dies. What are you going to do? You know, It's just not worth it. So I feel like the NHL needs to be the adult here and recognize that the risks that we're seeing right now, they're just too high, and it's just not worth it. I know we all miss hockey, but I, it's just—it's—it's it's really not the kind of thing that we should put human lives over. And on a related note, of of things that are more important than hockey, I wanted to let you know that the Locked On Podcast Network stands against racism and social injustice. That's why we, all together as the hosts, are making personal donations to local and national organizations that are fighting for change. And in the month of June, Locked On is matching the total of all host donations up to an additional ten thousand dollars. To make your own donation along with us, please visit LockedOnPodcasts.com slash BlackLivesMatter. Again, that is LockedOnPodcasts.com slash BlackLivesMatters. In addition, I also wanted to give a shout out to our wonderful partners at RockAuto.com. Like me, you're probably having a hard time finding your source of car parts, especially during quarantine where you need uh, to know your make and model, you need to stand in the line at a cash register and wait for somebody to look up parts within their own system. But a lot of the times, you don't even know what you're looking for. Google can only tell you so much for the amateur car enthusiast. And it's even harder if you're not even experienced with just doing car repairs in general. And that's why rockauto.com has your back. They're a family-owned business with over 20 years of experience in the automotive industry. Even better, RockAuto.com doesn't have a login or membership fee, so everyone will always get the same amount of savings and low prices on all of their best products. RockAuto.com has everything from engine control modules to floor mats for when you spill barbecue sauce on the seat. You can also use RockAuto.com's handy set of filters to check out price levels, model types, and everything in between. Whether you're a pro or a DIY car enthusiast, RockAuto.com will always charge you the same prices no matter what. If you make a purchase there, be sure to write "Locked On" in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Continuing our recent coverage of the NHL 2020 draft, I thought I would just talk about some of the stuff that I feel like could happen for Winnipeg because there are a number of different opportunities for the Jets to get some pretty decent prospects. Um, and I feel like this year in particular, there are so many guys with like higher floors that maybe some of the ceilings for the mid-level prospects are not as high, but that's okay you want bonafide NHLers and this looks like a year where we're going to get a lot of them one guy that i thought i would probably focus on just to finish this episode out is somebody who has kind of bounced up and down the rankings and uh, actually i took a look at some of his like highlight footage and then i checked out uh, will scouching's report and you can find his youtube where he actually has individual reports for a lot of the more obscure top prospects who play in leagues with not a lot of visibility because footage is just it's not easy to come by so this report was nice because he gives his thoughts on the kind of player uh, that Holloway is, and he also has supporting footage to illustrate each of his points. So be sure to check out Scouting Report. He's got tons of really great resources, and I, th- I think that he kind of saw some of the same stuff that I was seeing. And the first thing that stands out about Holloway is that he's just like a pretty well-rounded player, somebody who has decent stick handling, decent hand-eye coordination, um, decent skating, like, you know, Uh, A solid top gear, solid acceleration, um, okay passing, not fantastic, solid vision, and just a a generally well-rounded package where he kind of doesn't have a high-end dynamism or elite stick handling or edge work. He makes up for with like a tenacious um, forechecking ability, somebody who definitely likes to force turnovers, and he's also somebody who's willing to be patient because Wisconsin was a bad team, so... He kind of had to take a, a little bit of a step back and not just rush it off, uh, up the ice and, and look for an offensive counter opportunity. He was somebody who was willing to reevaluate his options because he had to account for a lot of his team's offense, and that forced him to think about his routes a little bit more. Will definitely pointed out that he takes a lot of low danger shots, which does pop up quite frequently on his footage, and I feel like the goals that I did find from him tended to be more opportunistic than anything. He'd be in the right place at the right time, somewhere, you know, towards the goal line or around the face-off circles, but it didn't feel like these are the kinds of elite finishes that you would see from high-end goal scorers. And, you know, as I'm going through this, my thought was he looks like a a safe middle six kind of player, Um, somebody with versatility who can play at even strength, potentially on your, your penalty kill, and maybe be like a bumper on a power play. And Will kind of pointed out the same thing, like middle six, not maybe not top six, because uh, he's just lacking that high end finishing ability, and you know certain parts of his game where I, I think his decision making is maybe not perfect, or his passing is a little bit hasty, and just a little bit of a, a little bit of work that needs to be done to get him to a higher echelon of prospect. I think that he's like what I might consider like a B prospect, somebody with a high floor but maybe a more limited and capped ceiling. But again, if you draft Holloway in the middle to late first round, you can't really have any complaints. Um, he's somebody who definitely, with work, could be a, a lot more than what he is now. He's also you know, on a pretty bad squad, and maybe in a more supportive environment where he has more talented playmakers or scorers around him, we might see more confidence in his game and more assertiveness in his ability to control the tempo and get into those greasier areas. He's definitely somebody I'd be fine with the Jets taking. I I wouldn't mind somebody with a little bit more upside, uh, because I think that there might be top sixers available where he'll be drafted, but it's not the kind of pick that you really get upset about either. He'll be a safe uh, second or third liner, probably more like a third liner, I would say. That's going to do it for today's episode. I hope you folks uh, found the conversation and analysis you know, meaningful. It, it wasn't really a fun episode, is what I'll say. Um, a little bit of a, a heavier tone to it, but these are always important issues that we need to talk about and you know, something that I think going forward is going to be an increasingly important dialogue to getting real change and making real progress. Thank you so much for your support and for listening. Before you log off, be sure to check out our Locked On NHL National podcast hosted by Sarah Evan Pato. Thank you so much for listening, have a great night, and go Jets go!